0: In these large corporate players, I wanted to do something different and I wanted to go to a smaller business, shape their strategy and deliver it.
1: Today on the Happy Workplace project, we're joined by the people and culture director of Pick Everard, Elizabeth Hardwick Smith. She talks to us about why peer to peer recognition is so important in driving a sense of togetherness within the organization, how they use diversity to improve the creativity and innovation within their teams, and why data is critical in driving their retention levels within the business. Enjoy the episode. Elizabeth. Great to have you on the Happy Workplace Project. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you very much. If we could start the conversation with you giving us some insight into your career journey and how you came to become the Group People Director at Pick Everard.
0: I'll I'll start with what I did at university, which was a very broad, open degree. wasn't related to business, wasn't related to human resources. And I don't think I really knew what I wanted to do, like many people at that stage. So I did English and sociology which also had its first year in psychology as well. So I was interested in people, but I had no hard and fast ideas really of what I wanted to do. I got talking to a friend of a friend who was doing a summer placement in retail in HR. And I thought that sounds interesting. I think I might be able to do similar But trying to get onto a graduate scheme after university was really, really challenging. So actually attempted for a year to build up my experience. And I worked in administration to start with, which was really good because I got to be party to lots of management conversations and onboarding of new people. But I knew that interest in human resources was still there. So once I'd got a bit of experience, I started applying again to graduate schemes. So I hadn't been successful the first time around, but thought, no, I think, I think this is definitely the way I want to go. And I was attracted to graduate schemes in particular because of all the training and investment that they would make. So I secured a position on the Rolls-Royce graduate scheme, which was a brilliant foundation for me. I could gain generalist skills, specialist skills. I got to go to Indianapolis in America, which was great to get some international experience early in my career. I then took a career break after a few years and went to do recruitment in Australia and that was agency recruitment and I also worked for the vocational education and training board in Sydney as well. So I guess just building on that international experience was was great to do and when I came back I moved into professional services. I took on two different positions at different times in two large accountancy firms Got loads of fantastic generalist and career development experience there before making the move into construction, which is where I am now. So, whilst I built all of my knowledge up in these large corporate players, I wanted to do something different and I wanted to go to a smaller business, shape their strategy, and deliver it. And that's exactly what I did. I spent nine years with my first employer in construction, taking them on a journey to be a top 100 company to work for before I then wanted to move up to something bigger. And joined Pick Everard four years ago as their People and Culture Director.
1: Fantastic. Could you tell us a bit about the culture at Pick Everard? How would you describe it?
0: We're on a journey at Pick Everard. And when you're on a journey, there's, I guess, different stages and phases that you're passing through. But the interesting thing about Pick Everard is that there's lots of different things all running at the same time, all at completely different stages of that journey so there are some elements which are really advanced and sophisticated and there are some elements where we're still working to get the basics right the thing that underpins all of this is that strong sense of improvement that we want to drive so we have a really strong sense of collaboration we have a really strong sense of wanting to drive innovation in everything that we're doing to rethink things and also the fact that we are an organisation which is, I guess, big enough to have some great opportunities whilst also small enough to have a really nice sense of connection and togetherness with each other.
1: Fantastic. The business to me is a, an organisation that is very people centric. And I wondered whether you could bring to life how your values were conceived and how they are made to live within the organisation.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think this is a really good example of that piece I've just spoken about there to say that we're at different stages with different things. So the business is over 150 years old. But when I joined four years ago, that was their first ever people strategy that got introduced, which I just Mm. I I think is amazing, (laughs) amazing. that probably explains why you know we're at we're at different stages in in terms of you know how sophisticated we are at, at doing things so the values that we see now were created 4 years ago and we we did have values already in place which were were detailed and it was a quite traditional and classic from the point of view that they were framed on the wall But not being particularly brought to life that weren't particularly memorable. We're a business continuously going through transformational change and they no longer underpinned where we were at in our journey at that stage. So whilst we were thinking about our strategic plan, which is called Plan 25, we also reached out to our people on our values. So initially, we sent out a survey across everybody to ask them, what, you know, what do you enjoy about working at Pick Everard? How would you describe it? Actually, what are also some of the challenges of working at Pick Everard? What do you think are some of the everyday behaviours that underpin us and who we are? I'd also established some forums as well. So I was talking to people face to face about their thoughts and their experiences and then shared that with the partners. And we reshaped the values into four key areas. And they were launched as as part of Plan 25. Now, since then, we've changed them again, interestingly, because when we developed them, it was all very internal focused. But actually, we've had client feedback since then. And we've got so many different stakeholders at PICFRO. We're a multidisciplinary organisation and, you know, we work with lots and lots of different people from lots and lots of different organisations. And we wanted to make sure that our clients also felt inspired, excited, guided by the key principles that were important to us as well. Our values now are being professional, being compassionate, being driven, and being positive.
1: And on that note, what are the Being Pick Everard awards?
0: The old values, as I said, were just framed on the wall that weren't particularly yeah. being brought to life that weren't particularly memorable so we've had a really really good think about how can we do something different with these new values how can we ensure that they're lived every day they're celebrated every day and they're well and truly things that we hold up as our as our guiding principles so We didn't just create the Beanpick Everard Awards. We also made sure that the values were incorporated into appraisals, that they're there in our learning and development, that they're there part of decision-making that we're making at at board meetings as well. But the bit that I love the most is the Beanpick Everard Awards. And this is a peer recognition scheme that we implemented three years ago. So it's a peer recognition scheme where anybody in the business can nominate their colleague for upholding one or more of the values and a team can also nominate themselves as being exceptional in upholding the values and that might be a virtual t- team that might be a multidisciplinary team or it might be an actual team within you know one of our disciplines who are sort of working alongside each other day by day providing a service together so people nominate their colleagues and we put it to a vote and then we celebrate it at the end of every year announcing our winners they get cash rewards they get vouchers and we, we Take them out for lunch as well to mark how how great they've done. The team award is activity based. And I think it's just such a positive thing to do. Not only is it nice to know that someone's thinking of you, I think actually you get so much reward from giving somebody feedback and saying, I think you're brilliant. I think you're doing a fantastic job and you make my day, you know, the, the best it possibly can be. I think that's really lovely giving, but also, you know, even the nomination process, we send postcards out to people. So it's a really lovely, positive piece of recognition and celebration for our people.
1: I think it's super powerful as well, because it's one thing having exec level recognition. Yeah. But the power must be two or three times stronger when it's a peer, a colleague, a workmate, etc
0: oh it is it is absolutely and we've done i mean the last few years obviously we were hampered a little bit by by covid the last few years we've done a sort of a virtual announcement and people know they've been nominated and they know why they've been nominated and it's really nice just sort of sitting and waiting and going around the country you know we've got a national practice here and Going around the country and having these different presenters announce the winners within their offices is quite an exciting moment. And I think the time of year that we do, it's really special as well, because it's sort of like a, a real little bit of boost in, in their pay packets for things that they can, you know, spend over the over the, the holidays to spend time with their families a little bit more or treat themselves, whatever they want to do with it.
1: Really powerful. Fantastic. The business talks a lot about doing the right thing. What's the moral compass that you use to decide what's right and who do you decide who it's right by as an organisation?
0: Being a multidisciplinary organisation does mean that you've got multiple stakeholders. We're, We're operating across both the public and the private sector. They've all got different needs and requirements and also because we're operating in construction, And property, we've got commitments to the communities around us. We've got commitments to the environment and also the fantastic workforce that, you know, works alongside us. So the moral compass is actually really broad and it touches on all of those four areas. So doing the right thing for our people, we have a people pillar. A strategic pillar and our aim is to create inspiring careers for exceptional people so as i said our new people strategy a brand you know brand new in terms of never been there in the history of our business focuses on all of the elements that go into creating that fantastic place to work for our people constantly seeking their feedback constantly measuring ourselves how well are we doing now are we meeting your needs but also are we performing well as a business so Yeah, all of their feedback, the values, they go into that people element. Beyond that, we've then got the client piece of doing the right thing by our clients is ensuring they've got a fantastic client experience. So we also reach out to get some feedback from them. We'll do client listening. We are particularly interested in working with certain clients that match our values. So we want to make sure that we're doing the right thing in terms of targeting the right ones who we think we're going to be able to work in great harmony with and and achieve great things. In terms of the community, we have social value targets in place. So that might be adult employment opportunities in some of the communities where we're doing our work. It might be reaching out to schools to do some STEM-based activity and some CSR, or it might be some supporting other local businesses you know sometimes it's as simple as where are you ordering your lunches from you know are we actually selecting our not-for-profit organizations that can support us with that and finally, the environment and sustainability. So we have sustainability professionals within our business, not only supporting our journey in terms of the climate emergency, but also advising clients. How do we get to net carbon zero? So it's it's really broad. There's loads of standards and qualities that also underpin that as well. But those four key areas are absolutely what we're working to every day to to do the right thing.
1: And. I know that there are a number of strategic priorities in place of Pick Everard. One of them that really stood out to me is Better Together.
0: Uh-huh. Could
1: you tell us a little bit about what that means to you and what it means to the wider business as well?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So in our strategic plan 25, we have this purpose, this purpose of deliver better together. So we've broken that down and thought very carefully about what that means for all of our stakeholders again. So deliver, to deliver, the delivery that we do every day for our clients is, is, it touches everything. You know, it's part and parcel of what we do. Delivering that fantastic client experience is ultimately our core. The better piece means that we have, you know, a mindset every day of improvement. And, you know, we encourage our people to step forward with their ideas. We encourage them to challenge us equally. If we have feedback for them, then we make sure that we provide that feedback in the most constructive way. So that constant dialogue between our our people is is absolutely vital. And then together is all about our, our sense of collaboration with each other. So some of our disciplines are incredibly uh, collaborative. We have architects in the business who will discuss designs and present ideas to each other and and share learning opportunities. We're collaborating across the practice, across all of the multidisciplinary specialisms that we have. And of course, we're collaborating with our external stakeholders as well. So Deliver Better Together, it's, it's it's a guiding principle, all connected to that journey that we're on. And as I say, some of where we are is highly sophisticated, but, you know, let's get out there and share it. Who else could benefit from it? And some of it we're learning from others. So I I think it's a good motivator. It's a good guide for us, ultimately.
1: I love that. It's like a North Star.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. And I think to deliver, but you asked me about deliver better together. The way in which I guess I, I, I talk about this with with my own team is that, you know, we are pe- people centric, of course we are, we work in people and culture. There's so many different styles still, I think, with regards to HR teams and, and change agents, etc. And, you know, I, d- I, I don't want the ordinary, you know, I want something quite different. I want to have exciting things, create an impact and create a sense of adventure, not only for us as a team, but the, the rest of the business. So our deliver better together is us being in the best possible shape as a team in order to do that that might be our professional development that might be us being open about how we're feeling you know about our well-being from from day to day what what support we might need or it might be coming together and discussing and reanalyzing our priorities based on feedback from the business so yeah that that team ethos that team effect is what's most crucial from my point of view on Deliver Better Together.
1: You talk a lot about the strength of the team being in the diversity of the people within the team. Could you tell us a little bit about why that's so important and what that does in terms of outcomes from a team performance and togetherness perspective?
0: We are working in property and development. We are working in construction. So like every other organization in those industries, we have a diversity challenge but it's an exciting challenge because what I see around me are some you know fantastic growing best practices to drive even more diversity into the industry so In our own organisation, we've set a 13 point equality, diversity and inclusion plan, and we've done an awful lot of analysis. We, We released last year an EDI index, which is all about getting to know our people better. And it's really interesting what's come back. So we've been really, really broad because diversity for us isn't just about your gender, you know, it isn't just about your background, but it might be the way in which you think. And of course, being in a multidisciplinary business, we do have some very, very different characters amongst us, which makes it really interesting for me and my team to constantly be adapting our style around different people, different ages, and and all of their different needs as well. So, our strength is in our diversity from the point of view that providing We've got people with the right skills that are in harmony with our values. We are open to people from different professions. We're open to people from different locations, etc. But we recognise ultimately that we've got to do our part within the industry also to keep on welcoming and attracting more women, welcoming and attracting younger workers, retaining our our older workers as well. We're, We're doing more for ethnic minorities. We've been celebrating pride this month, et cetera. We know that diversity ultimately enables us to perform better. We know as a business that's constantly reaching out to our people and asking them for their ideas that those multiple different perspectives are so valuable. We will only be better as time goes on, the more and more diverse people that we attract in because that's where innovation breeds, you know, those different perspectives that spark those different questions and those different ways of thinking about things. If we're constantly operating in the same way with the same people, it's impossible to evolve. And obviously, as a business that's got big transformational goals and big growth goals ahead, that diversity is ultimately going to be an underpinning principle to our success for the future.
1: We've spent a good few minutes talking about the great things that the organisation is doing. I think it's really important that we're authentic and talk about the things that the business needs to improve on. So could you bring to life some of the stuff that you're working on to help either bring you up to speed or start things that the business should have started a while back and hasn't had a chance to yet?
0: Outwardly, Pick Everard has you know, a fantastic profile with, with clients. The, the journey piece is all about how we're operating internally. And one of the key pieces of feedback from our people is that our communication isn't where it needs to be. So whilst we're driving all of this change, we're also often surprising people with it. And that can feel overwhelming. So there's, you know, it's exciting. As I say, you know, people are really delighted when, when they see these things come to fruition. But they're very busy. They're very, very busy. And if we don't communicate with them at the right time, if we don't, I guess, get the rollout plans and implementation plans quite right or the messaging around it, then we all miss out. They don't engage quite as much as they should do or they have this sense of overwhelm. Unfortunately, they can't take in all of the information that we need them to. So we recently recruited in a a senior internal communication specialist I'm working with her to develop a new communication strategy we've been testing out a few things over the last few months to sort of see what works and what our people most like to engage with and what's most efficient and it's really it, it is a really interesting journey I'm really looking forward to putting that strategy in properly in place and just I guess hoping our people have a greater sense of readiness for some of those things that we're newly introducing to them, because this is good stuff that we're doing. This is really, really good stuff. But yeah, it's not always received well, unfortunately, because we, we don't always get the communications right. So so that's I would say, is, is, is top of the list. I'm going to talk about hybrid working as well, because I think that that's really interesting in a business like ours, where a lot of what we do is obviously around creating great spaces and and great places to work, live, play, etc. So we've got an awful lot of expertise at Pick Everard, but because of the the diversity and the diverse perspectives, we can have some really lively discussions around what's right for us, what's right for us in terms of the environment that we work in. We want to have an inspiring workplace, not just from the principles of what the people agenda is, but the environment as well. What's the office space like? Is the layout right? Have I got places to go to be creative? Have I got places to go to be collaborative with my colleagues? Where can I go to do my concentration work? How do I then blend that with being at home and and not feeling isolated? Because even with hybrid working, you know, I think people can feel a sense of isolation if your days aren't quite matching up with other colleagues. So the communication challenge It's massive. (laughs) It's massive with change and massive with hybrid. But also, yeah, one of the biggest challenges right now is for us to get that overall experience of coming to work. Right. Having that positive, inspiring environment whilst enabling our people to blend their home life with their work life to, you know, whatever allows them to have optimum success.
1: What did Pick Everard do to actually, I suppose, improve the loyalty of of people who work for the organisation?
0: Data. Data is really important to start with. So we do analysis on what's most important to our people. So we hold retention focus groups. We, We did analysis on our employee turnover crunch points you know when do people start to disengage let's target those groups specifically and let's talk to them about what's most important to them people are just sort of coming up to that point in their career where they're reflecting about you know am I fully happy here Have I've got all of my needs met or is there something else out there we do new joiner listening as well as, as well as some of those sort of engagement focus groups that I've talked about before so we get really clear on the data and then we use our transformative people strategy to drive lots of changes.
1: Could you talk to us about your leadership style?
0: The way that I like to operate, I'm very much an ideas person. I like to have a strong vision. I'm incredibly passionate about where we're heading as a team and where we're heading as a business. And, you know, I like to take people with me on that vision. and also making sure that the team understand and are you know, working together or pulling in the same direction, harmony is really important to me. So, I do spend time with the team, getting to know them as people, and you know, I'm, I'm really open to their ideas. Of a course, of action that we've we've discussed isn't quite right. I'm flexible, and uh, you know, if they've got a better idea than brilliant, I absolutely want to hear it. The other important piece of my leadership style is I encourage people to be independent and autonomous.
1: What about your personal values? Could you tell us what they are and why they're important to you?
0: The top two for me are to deliver and what we say we're going to deliver. That is so important to me. I th- think that's a, a massive part of my personal brand. I, I just think it, because of that visionary piece. I take that so seriously in terms of where are we going and the, the belief that we can get there regardless of how many challenges and, and changes we might have along the way. It's it's just such a massive sense of purpose to me. So when I say to somebody we're going to do something, it's so it is so fundamentally important that we that we do it. It might not get delivered in exactly the same way as we originally set out to deliver it but we are delivering it. Otherwise, I do feel like I've let, I've let people down. But also fairness as well. Fairness is is really important. What's
1: the biggest misconception that people have about you?
0: In my role, because I'm engaging with so many different people all of the time, and I'm, I'm, myself and my team are very proactive, as I've said before, at reaching out and understanding what's important to our people what's what's important to our, our our colleagues and gathering that information and and starting to you know shape ideas and, and drive the changes that people want I think it's the stuff that we're doing is is so big and one of the misconceptions that I can experience is people might have a conversation with me particularly about something that's important to them and it might be something that's, you know, going to require an initiative, a project, an initiative, which, although they're the individual bringing that to me, it could be something that impacts everybody. And I think what I experience a lot of the time is I'll have the conversation. I'm very positive, very positive when I'm talking to people, <laughs> very accommodating and supportive, etc. But this fairness piece in me, this need to be consistent, this need to reach everybody in a way that's right for them means that I sometimes have to take a little bit longer over shaping the right strategy and over making sure I'm finding the right answer that's going to suit our 650 person workforce so somebody might have a misconception with me that I'll have the very positive conversation with them and confirm yes we're going to go away and do something about and they'll think it'll literally be what they've just discussed with me Well, what they don't know about my role is that, uh, like them, there are so many different stakeholders. You know, trying to engage and retain a workforce of 650 diverse people is incredibly complex. So they won't realise that I am then going to need to go away and talk to others and sign them out and get their ideas and shape something that can accommodate as much as the needs of our people as possible but might not be 100% matched to what they'd originally wanted personally.
1: Your career has reached the top level of HR pretty quickly. With that in mind, what are the sacrifices that you've had to make to get to where you are today?
0: Never really noticed myself making sacrifices. I've always thoroughly enjoyed what I'm doing. And at various points, I've not actually felt like it's work at all. It's just felt like one big project, which is interesting. You know, if I'm I'm intellectually challenged and I'm making a difference and I'm adding value and I've got connection with people, then I'm genuinely enjoying what I'm doing. I'm in the right place and therefore it hasn't really felt like a sacrifice. I do have a family. (laughs) I do have a family. (laughs) And my husband would probably say, well, but there are times, aren't there? There are times like most people, where I've had really high demand on me. And that might be demand. At, sometimes I place it on myself, actually, because I'm so passionate about getting something done by a certain point in time, or because I'm creative, I've got so many different ideas that I want to get down. And I can sometimes get quite single focused in that. So learning how to switch off has been really important to me making sure that some of the other elements of who I am are not left neglected so the unwinding piece those closest to me will know I'm not very good at unwinding and the time with my family you know I've I had some great opportunities as head of HR to be four days a week and have flexibility which was brilliant I've got great opportunities at pick ever to do hybrid working I have a lot of time with my family which is brilliant but I want to make those moments count and I want them to be quality moment sacrifices would probably be sometimes just not switching off enough because my passions <laughs> over here on some workplace initiative instead of oh, hold done a minute you can park that you'll be in a much better place if you just focus on the family a little bit more so sa- no sacrifice with regards to time but I think yeah my kind of single-minded approach sometimes probably say actually you could have handled that a little bit differently in order to have a bit more of a balanced approach to, to who you are and what and what you like to do.
1: That leads us really nicely actually into talking a bit about well-being. I'm really interested to understand how you manage and optimise your well-being to stay consistently performing at the level that you do.
0: I observe myself a, a lot. I observe how I feel and my moods and my, I guess you know, your physio, my physiological experiences with regards to my shoulder. <laughs> my, if I'm, not, if I'm under pressure or stressed, people always see my shoulders are right up to, write uh, up to my ears. So, so I observe myself a lot from that point of view. I also accept that there will be times which are pressured, and so so long as I build in time in my diary. To then have quite a couple of days to have that space to think, to do energy creating activity like being creative, then these peaks and troughs are fine for me. I do think about how often I'm taking a break. I love travel, so I I like exploring. I make sure that that's happening in my personal life. And I guess that sense of openness with the team as well, you know, I encourage them to be open with me about how busy they are. And I'll speak up with them about workload demands. And together, you know, if we have to change things from, from one week to the next because something's happened, well, you know, that's okay. We'll do that. So I think I'm quite realistic in terms of what I need what I want from, from from my well-being
1: what would you say is the most difficult decision you've had to make in your career so far
0: when I moved out of accountancy firms and into construction I made a really significant decision at that point the reason for that was gosh I and mean, there's so, so many reasons for that it was in the middle of the 2008 recession For So it was a massive risk that I was taking. I was leaving a a really strong national accountancy practice where I was really well supported by a team of probably 50 to 60 HR professionals nationally. I'd probably got 10 other HR professionals around me who'd given me an awful lot of support as as a regional HR advisor, furthering my career. And I really wanted to be a HR manager at the time. But I also wanted to do something different. So at this accountancy firm, we'd been looking at talent development and, you know, high potential, high performers, etc. And whether people had had experience of turning around a struggling business. And I made that decision to make that leap out of large corporates, where I'd got, you know, some fantastic learning, as I said earlier, to a small owner-managed business in a new sector where I was a standalone HR manager, had absolutely no team there at all they're just half the size of the workforce I guess just coming away from that and putting myself in a position where I was going to be everything from a HR perspective from my first experiences of shaping a five-year strategy with them to still doing the admin (laughs) so that was a really bold brave move for me to make and you know it was it was a risk. It was a huge risk. And I decided to go for it in the end because I thought, you know, if I last a few months or a year and, and, and it all collapses, you know, if something doesn't go right with the business, then, you know, at least I'll have had experience of doing something very, very different. And who who knows what course or direction it would take me on. That move completely catapulted my career which is you know just amazing looking back and thinking about that decision of do i play it safe do i stay where i am and let this recession pass do i stay in a corporate world and continue to have probably i wouldn't say it's slightly easier life but a different life a different life with different challenges but with more people around me to support me or do i take a complete leap of faith to do something different so i took the leap of faith and never look back.
1: Thinking about advice for the next generation what do you think they should be teaching in schools today to help prepare people for the world of work in the future?
0: I think this is an interesting question because there's so many skills that people perhaps not having developed you know at the moment it's all very academic focus isn't it and there's sort of lots of discussions over greater financial awareness for people but I guess our findings are we do a lot of STEM activities, we'll go out to schools and colleges, we'll go out to universities. And I think about some of the things that we deliver, it's not just about talking about our profession, but it's also around some of those sort of fundamental skills in terms of, you know, how how are you at your best in a meeting? How do you influence people? How can you present to to people, present, you know, a business case, etc.? Some people, I guess, just don't or haven't had the opportunity to do summer placements or industrial placements. So, you know, thinking about myself, I'd got hardly any work experience at all when I went into the working working world. So I think, Closing that gap between employers and the experience that you get at employers and the key skills that you need to succeed in your early years with a new employer is is essential. You know, if there's more that we could be doing to go out and teach that through programming the industry, then I think that would be, you know, time really well spent for people.
1: What's your ultimate life goal?
0: Someone like me, who's I do a lot of thinking, I do a lot of dreaming. I'm such a big daydreamer. I have so many different ideas whirling around my mind every day and I can dream up you know the next the next big goal for myself maybe previously just following One career path was enough for myself. You know, I always wanted to get as far as I could and make a difference within people and culture and human resources. But I've started to expand outside of that. So I've become a trustee at Zoom, I'm a trustee at the Pagabo Foundation. I like to make a difference. I'm I'm learning new things. I'm, I'm learning about myself in totally different environments. And that's really sparked off more of my imagination on what more I could do. I I guess I could, I I think what I'd probably like to do is share more of my expertise in new ways, whether that is through writing. I love writing blogs. I'd love to be an author. I'm quite inspired by some of the things that I see on social media as well, in terms of people sharing their expertise. And I think just helping people in their their everyday life with, I get friends approach me, of course I do, to talk to me about some of the challenges that they experience with their employer just be a little bit more creative, I think in in how I do that so that it's much, much broader. but I've got lots of different ideas of different projects which aren't even people related. So I think probably my biggest ambition is to keep doing more and to keep being creative and imaginative and to keep taking those leaps of faith to make sure that I that life is interesting for me on in numerous numerous different levels.
1: And how would you like to be remembered?
0: People remembering me as somebody who has made, you know, has added value and has made a real difference, no matter what it is that I've been involved with.
1: So we're on to our quick fire round. First question is, what's something that you've achieved that you're proud of?
0: I'm proud of the multiple award wins and people accreditations that I've achieved within the construction industry.
1: And what's one word that best describes you? Visionary. How did you react to your greatest failure?
0: Terribly. (laughs) Very emotional.
1: (gasps) Okay. What's something you regret and you would have done differently?
0: Getting too emotionally connected to what then became a greatest failure.
1: What do you like most about yourself?
0: My imagination.
1: And what would you say is your biggest area of development?
0: Commercial understanding.
1: Tell us something that you're passionate about.
0: Bringing people together more so they can enjoy that sense of team spirit.
1: What's the best piece of advice that you've ever been given?
0: The whole concept of two ears, one mouth, do more listening.
1: I love that one. And finally, what's one book or podcast that you recommend for our subscribers?
0: To turn this on its head, I like reading short, quick blogs and I'll read multiple (laughs) short, quick blogs. So I guess I'd encourage people to think you don't have to stick to the books and the podcast. If something quicker works for you, do that.
1: Like it. Thank you so much for your insights today. It's been a great conversation and I really appreciate the candid honesty.
0: Thank you. We've enjoyed it.
1: Thanks for joining us today. Remember to like and subscribe. See you next time.